Section 18 of Offhand Sketches. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Offhand Sketches by T.S. Arthur. Section 18. The Code of Honor. Two young men, one with a leather cap on his head and military buttons on his coat, sat in close conversation long years ago in the bar-room of the hotel. The subject that occupied their attention seemed to be a very exciting one, at least to him of the military buttons and black cap, for he emphasized strongly, knit his brow awfully, and at last went so far as to swear a terrible oath. "'Don't permit yourself to get so excited, Tom,' interposed a friend. "'It won't help the matter at all.' but I've got no patience. Then it's time you had some, coolly returned the friend. If you intend pushing your way into the good graces of my Lady Mary Clinton, you must do something more than fume about the little matter of rivalry that has sprung up. Yes, but to think of a poor milksop of an author. Author? Bah! Scribbler! To think, I say, of a spiritless creature like Blake thrusting himself between me and such a girl as Mary Clinton, and worse, gaining her notice is too bad. He has sonneteered her eyebrows, no doubt, flattered her in verse until she don't know who or where she is, and in this way become a formidable rival. But I won't bear it. I'll, I'll... What will you do? Do? I'll wing him. That's what I'll do. I'll challenge the puppy and shoot him. And the young lieutenant, for such he was, flourished his right arm and looked pistol balls in death. But he won't fight, Tom. Won't he? And the lieutenant's face brightened. Then I'll post him for a coward. That'll finish him. All women hate cowards. I'll post him, yes. And cowhide him in the bargain if necessary. Posting will do, half sarcastically replied his friend. But upon what pretext will you challenge him? I'll make one. I'll insult him the first time I meet him. And then if he says anything, challenge and shoot him. That would be quite gentlemanly, quite according to the code of honor, returned the friend quietly. The young military gentleman we have introduced was named Redmond. The reader has already penetrated his character. In person, he was quite good-looking, though not the Adonis he deemed himself. He had fallen deeply in love with the acres of charms possessed by a certain Miss Clinton, and was making rapid inroad upon her heart, at least he thought so, when a young man, well known in the literary circles, made his appearance and was received with a degree of favor that confounded the officer, who had already begun to think himself sure of the prize. Blake had a much readier tongue and a great deal more in his head than the other, and could therefore, in the matter of mind at least, appear to much better advantage than his rival. He had also written and published one or two popular works, this gave him a standing as an author. Take him all in all, he was a rival to be feared, and Redmond was not long in making the discovery. What was to be done? A military man must not be put down or beaten off by a mere civilian. The rival must be gotten rid of in some manner. The professional means was, as has been seen, thought of first. Blake must be challenged and killed off, and then the course would be clear. A few days after this brave and honorable determination, 
the officer met the author in a public place, and purposely jostled him rudely. Blake said nothing, thinking it possible that it was an accident, but he remained near Redmond to give him a chance to repeat the insult, if such had been his intention. It was not long before the author was again jostled in a still ruder manner than before. At the same time, some offensive word was muttered by the officer. This was in the presence of a number of respectable persons who could not help hearing, seeing, and understanding all. Satisfied that an insult was intended, Blake looked him in the face for a moment, and then asked, loud enough to be heard all around, Did you intend to jostle me? I did, was the angry retort. Gentlemen never do such things. As Blake said this with marked emphasis, he looked steadily into the officer's face. You'll hear from me, sir. And as the officer said this, menacingly, he turned and walked away with a military air. There's trouble for you now, Blake. He'll challenge you, said two or three friends who instantly gathered around him. Do you think so? Certainly. He is an officer. Fighting is his trade. Well, let him. What'll you do? Accept the challenge, of course. And fight? Certainly. He'll shoot you. I'm not afraid. Blake returned with his friend to his lodgings, where he found a billet already from Redmond, who was all eagerness to wing his rival. On the next morning, two friends of the belligerents were closeted for the purpose of arranging the preliminaries for the fight. The weapon? asked the friend of the military man. Your principal, by the laws of honor, has the choice, as also to name time and place, etc. Yes, I understand. All is settled. He will fight, then. Fight? Oh, certainly. Blake is no coward. Well, then, name the weapons. A pair of goose quills. Sir, in profound astonishment, the weapons are to be a pair of good Russia quills, opaque, manufactured into pins of approved quality. The place of meeting, the Gazette. The time, tomorrow morning, bright and early. Do you mean to insult me? By no means. You cannot be serious. Never was more serious in my life. By the code of honor, the challenged party has the right to choose weapons, place of meeting, and time. Is it not so? Certainly. Very well. Your principal has challenged mine. All these rights are, of course, his, and he is justified in choosing those weapons with which he is most familiar. The weapon he can use best is the pen, and he chooses that. If Lieutenant Redmond had been the challenged party, he would, of course, have named pistols with which he is familiar, and Mr. Blake would have been called a coward, poltroon, or something as bad if, after sending a challenge, he had objected to the weapons. Will your principal find himself in a different position if he decline this meeting on like grounds? I think not. Pins are as good as pistols at any time, and will do as much. Fighting with pins? Preposterous! Not quite so preposterous as you may think. Mr. B. has more than insinuated that Mr. Redmond is no gentleman. For this he is challenged to a single combat that is to prove him to be a gentleman or not one. Surely the most sensible weapon with which to do this is the pen. Pistols won't demonstrate the matter. Only the pen can do it, so the pen is chosen. In the Gazette of tomorrow morning, my friend stands ready to prove that he is a gentleman, and your friend, 
that he is one, and that a gentleman has a right to insult publicly and without provocation whomsoever he pleases. Depend upon it, you will find this quite as serious an affair as if pistols were used. I did not come here, sir, to be trifled with. No trifling in the matter at all. I am in sober earnest. Pens are the weapons. The Gazette, the battleground. Time, early as you please, tomorrow morning. Are you prepared for the meeting? No. Do you understand the consequences? What consequences? Your principal will be posted as a coward before night. Are you mad? No, cool and earnest. We fully understand what we are about. The officer's second was nonplussed. He did not know what to say or think. He was unprepared for such a position of affairs. I'll see you in the course of an hour, he at length said, rising. Very well, you will find me here. Is all settled? asked the valiant lieutenant, as his second came into his room at the hotel, where he was pacing the floor. Settled? No, nor likely to be. I objected to the weapons, and indeed the whole proposed arrangement. Objected to the weapons? And pray, what did he name? A blunderbuss? No, nor a duck gun, with trumpet muzzle, but an infernal pen. What? Why, curse the fellow, a pen. You were to use pens. The place of meeting, the Gazette. Time, tomorrow morning. He is to prove you are no gentleman, and you are to prove you are one, and that a gentleman is at all times privileged to insult whomsoever he pleases without provocation. He's a cowardly fool. If his terms are not accepted, he threatens to post you for a coward before night. What? You must accept or be posted. Think of that. The precise terms in which the principal swore, and the manner in which he fumed for the next five minutes, need not be told. He was called back to more sober feelings by the question, Do you accept the terms of the meeting? No, of course not. The fellow's a fool. Then you consent to be posted. How will that sound? I'll cut off the rascal's ears if he dare do such a thing. That won't secure Mary Clinton, the cause of this contest. Hang it, no. With pens for weapons, he'll wing you a little too quick. No doubt, but the public won't bear him out such an outrage, such a violation of all the rules of honor. By the code of honor, the challenged party has the right to choose the weapons, and so forth. I know. And you are afraid to meet the man you have challenged upon the terms he proposes. That is all plain and simple enough. The world will understand it all. But what is to be done? You must fight, apologize, or be posted. There is no alternative. To be posted won't do. The laugh would be too strongly against you. It will be as bad and even worse to fight as he proposes. True. What then? It must be made up somehow or other. So I think. Will you write an apology? I don't know. That's too humiliating. It is the least of the three evils. So at last thought the valiant Lieutenant Redmond. When the seconds again met, it was to arrange a settlement of differences. This could only be done by a very humbly written apology, which was made. On the next day, the young officer left the city, a little wiser than he came. Blake and his second said but little about the matter. A few choice friends were led into the secret, which afforded many a hearty laugh. Among these friends was Mary Clinton, who not long after gave her heart and hand to the redoubtable author. As for the lieutenant, he declares that he had his leave come in contact 
with a pexin gun as an author with his infernal pen. He understands pistols, small swords, rifles, and even cannons, but he can't stand up when penwork is the order of the day. The odds would be too much against him. End of section 18. Recording by Tom Barron.